The following audio is intended for mature audiences and contains adult content, graphic language, graphic violence, and strong sexual content. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to Fedori, everyone. My name is Tony, otherwise known as Slade. I am your DM for this fabulous evening. I am only here with one very special individual by the name of Rhaegar. Say hi, Rhaegar. Good evening. So, I'm going to do something a little bit different before we get started. And this is on the notion of what happened in the last episode. So, I want everybody who hears this, if this becomes a secondary bonus episode for our good friend Rhaegar here, to know this upfront and personal that this is an event that is transpiring because of what happened in the last episode that was intended for Mouse, but ended up becoming a thing for Rhaegar. Rhaegar, in, in general, has done nothing wrong. He, he is just simply put into a bad situation at a very bad time and didn't know the consequences of what this said thing was and what it can potentially do. But we have come to a reasoning and understanding of the consequences of what could happen tonight. However, there is the potential to where that uh, a very nice little surprise for Rhaegar could also happen. He just won't know unless it happens in that scenario it's it's one of those things that i am a firm believer that the dice tell the story and it should remain that that is how it should be and it will stay that way if tony will allow me just to uh to interject real quick and it is it is just a very quick thing um for the listeners that are at home obviously you you heard the the conclusion of the last session you know what is potentially about to go down regardless of the outcome of the next 45 minutes, hour, two hours, however long this ordeal takes, Rhaegar will not be the same person he was when he went into this. I am going to pour every single shred of myself into this. And I just hope that for you guys listening at home, I am able to do it proud. Do you guys proud. And with that, I'm going to give a brief recap for our listeners, just in case they may have forgotten, as to what actually did happen. So last we left off, our three heroes managed to do rather an extraordinary feat, if I may say so myself, even though it wasn't like the biggest on the island in retrospect, but they managed to kill... The dinosaur, the 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 T-Rex, killed off pretty much everybody in the camp. Mouse suddenly reappeared and told them as they went back into the little central hub that they have found themselves in, the events that transpired while he was away. It just so happened that Mouse also brought a gift for Rhaegar. Mouse didn't know the full extent of what he was giving Rhaegar when he gave it to him, but he did so in a manner that is quite endearing. 
if I do say so myself. And now the object in question is not chaotic evil. It is not good. In fact, it is what we classify in D&D as true neutral. It just so happens that neutral is not always set in stone to be just a one-sided coin. There's always a double side to that neutrality as well. It's kind of like the philosophy of if the lion were to pray to the gods for a meal, the god will either see fit to feed that said lion or let the lion die. Two sides of the same coin. Everything is a balance. And that's what this orb represents. It is a, it's a orb that can do something quite spectacular, but it has consequences if not handled properly. Our friend Rhaegar found out the gist of that when he went out on his own, decided to have a couple of drinks, stare into the orb wondering what would happen if he were to do exactly what he knew he wanted to do, but left the orb alone and fell asleep. And it just so happened it's at the stroke of midnight that we are at at this current moment where the events of last episode are now transpiring, where Rhaegar made a decision while in a dream state. He chose his daughter. The daughter led down a spiraling staircase of events to where that he is now standing at his base home where he originally grew up at. Rhaegar, your house is on fire. Your entire crops have been dismantled. Everything around you is just destroyed. It's what you remember that fateful day as to the reason why you are here today. Everything's gone. But something different is here. You see yourself, not in the way that is familiar to you. You see what looks to be like a mirror image. The mirror image is a reflection of you in the darkest senses. But it doesn't feel evil. It just feels as if that this is the side of you that you don't want people to see. This is the side of you that you try to keep hidden from those that come into contact with you. The last time you saw this individual in the last episode, you see that he stood there with a smile on his face, and all he simply did was he drew his axe out, set it in front of him, and was ready for whatever was to come. And that's where we are now. Just to be clear straight off the bat, you said that the weapon is not currently in their hand. You said it's on the ground. It's kind of like they're doing that thing where the blade is facing at the ground and they're holding their hilt and they're kind of like leaning on it as like a support kind of thing. And they're just watching you intently. They're just waiting to see what you'll do. But it, but in the events of what happened in the last episode, for those that are listening, Rhaegar rolled initiative already and he only got one point higher than his mirror image self one point 
So, Rhaegar, you do get to go first. Okay. So, for clarity's sake, just to describe a little bit of the scene that is uh, evolving around us for those at home, there are two barns, or what look to be barns. Yeah, one of them is your cabin. This one that's the cabin? Yeah, the one, the building on the left is your cabin, and it is engulfed in flames. As And the barn that's at the top right of the map, that's above the, uh, the watering well, that is completely destroyed. There's not even a barn there. It's just gone. I would know that that's sort of like my, my crop storage. Yes. Yeah. You would know that that was originally where your barn was at, yes. Yeah. I'm going to take a very quick second just to take in the surroundings around me. I'm watching my mirror image for any movement whatsoever, whether it be his grip tightening on his, his weapon or uh, subtle changes in his stance, whether it makes it look like he's getting ready to attack. It's actually one of those things to where that it feels like that he, it, you can tell up front that he is watching you intently. He's not removing his gaze from you, but it almost feels like that he's looking at you in a smug way. It's almost like that he's looking at you as if to say that I know who you really are, and I'm just waiting for you to release that. Looking at the copy of myself that is in front of me, I am going to just hold like I'm just gonna let my arms fall to my side and kind of half looking at the, the remnants of my home and half looking at him, I'm just gonna say, huh, it's been too long since we came home. It's a pity that things have to be this way rather than what we truly remember them to be. You know as well as I do that this isn't right this is our home and we've allowed evil to corrupt it to destroy it to ruin it our family is dead our son gone your wife your daughter your entire life ripped apart and you can't see that who you are isn't truly who you are. I need you to snap out of this. I need you to see sense. I need you to wake up. Please wake up. You have people out there in the real world depending on you. Just wake up. Please. But Rhaegar, you, you see yourself, the mirror image of you, your echo, look at you and simply say, And whose fault is that? You weren't here. You left on the day that they died on a business errand of all things. You said that it was more important to go into the town, to go and associate business, to raise enough money to where that we could 
get out of this situation that we're in when you could have just stayed home. You could have protected them. You could have saved them. But you didn't. You left them. It's your fault that they are dead. It's your fault that the blood from their hands has been shed and casts a shadow of which we are unable to maintain. You're right. It is my fault. I chose to leave for a day. Unbeknownst to me what would come hours after I chose to do so. After we chose to do so. Make no mistake. You are me. You couldn't have done anything different. You wouldn't have done anything different. I left to try my last attempt to gain enough value so that we could rid ourselves of what, quite frankly, none of us wanted. You didn't want this. You didn't want to be breaking your back 16 hours a day, seven days a week. But I did it for them. We did it. You need to open your eyes, Rhaegar. You are me, and I am you. There is no distinction between us. I take full responsibility for what happened that day. I always have. Now, I'm not saying that my actions were right. I was taking what I thought was a responsibility to fend for our family. To provide for our family and live the dream that we all wanted. I still hear their screams every night in my head. And no matter how much I drink or try to drown it out, it's there. Just a single layer above everything else. And at this point, you're going to see me reach into the back of my, what I'd imagine is by now a slightly tattered leather belt. I'm going to unclip the, the hip flask and I'm, I'm just going to hold it, not entirely at arm's reach, but just out in front of me. And I'm just going to say this. This crutch that we have lived on for years. What good has it ever done us? Yeah, it helped us sleep at night. But it didn't stop us from feeling the pain, the shame, and the absolute horror every morning when we woke up. It never got us anywhere. It got us into alleyways and fields. Not one person would take us in. 
because we made ourselves look like a stinking drunkard who was just inches away from becoming the very people we pitied. Look at this. Take a good, hard look at this and see for yourself the crutch that we have both lived off of for years. We don't need this. This is nothing except from a permanent shining reminder of the failures to process everything around us. And I'm going to throw the flask and realize that I am a little bit away from it, but I'm going to try and toss it into the well. Go ahead and make me just a normal strength check, and the DC won't be high. 13. Yeah, yeah, you, you, it doesn't, you didn't throw it as hard as you thought you would, but you threw it just hard enough to where that it would hit the edge of the well and then just fall right in kind of haphazardly, but it does fall in. But something happens when you throw the flask into the well, though. The scene changes. But you're now on a battlefield. Mm. You're now standing in what looks to be like... It, it feels like you're still at your home, but it's on the notion that everything is gone except for the mountain that surrounds that spit of land that you remember but it takes the form of like this massive battlefield it's just a barren wasteland it's just you and your echo your echo looks at you and says speaking of crutches your friend mouse one of them here recently, you've become more and more acquainted with. And it almost seems to me that you're getting to the point of relying on him too much. But I will say one thing. From reading your memories, he does have a philosophy that I am quite fond of. What's dead should stay dead. After a very quick glance and noticing that the surroundings have changed, uh, I, I cast my attention back to my mirror image and I just say, you're half right. And I'll explain why. Because to not, to, to not do so would be lying to myself. Something I've been doing all this time. And that's another thing that needs to stop now, Rhaegar. Is lying to yourself. Yes, I have relied heavily on those around me. I have found a shred of comfort with these people. Whether it be the relationship I have gained with Mouse, the companionship I have found with Norbit and Milani. Though you do see the skewed nature between the four of us, it does sway heavily in one direction. He is going to stop you at that moment. He's not going to hit you. But you see, in an agitated form, he takes his axe, he breathes lightning on it, 
and at that same motion swing it in such a way that he's throwing his breath weapon at you as in the form of a slice with his axe and it doesn't hit you but it gives you the notion that if he wanted to hit you he could very well do so and he's he looks at you and says you dare speak those words to me you started off by treating these people that you claim to have a crutch with as if they were toys. And I take full blame for my actions. I acknowledge that I treated people unfairly. I acknowledge that I put people in harm's way. I acknowledge that people were put in a position of wrongdoing by my significant arrogance. My ignorance, my own pain, bled over to those people. But you need to remember, you've seen everything through my eyes. You know just as well as I do that I have built bridges. I have buried omens. And I have mended what started off as fragile almost breaking alliances. Do not try to use my friends against me. Do not try and make me out to be someone that I am not. I have mended and made amends by these people. But that's exactly what you are, Rhaegar. You have been told time and time again of this so-called destiny that you're supposed to fulfill what destiny does a lonely barbarian who spends his days in taverns and drinks to his heart's content because he failed to save the ones that he loves and then now uses the ones that he cares about as additional crutches. What makes you worthy of a destiny like that? What makes you capable of handling such a feat? You question capability. You look me in the eye and you question my capability. Was I not capable of raising a daughter who tragically was lost to both of us? Was I not capable of fending before both of them food on the plate every single day, a shelter for them to sleep in, roof sturdy, well-made, warm over their heads? Was I not capable to provide a living for our fucking family. I am capable because I am on a path of change. I am on a path of redemption and no man can truly redeem himself unless he has the strength of those around him. You are part of me. You need to look yourself in the eye. You need to look into your soul 
because I know you fucking have one. You need to look inside yourself and see that as well. This path that you say I am on, you question whether or not I am strong enough to succeed. I don't do it for myself. I do it for your fucking daughter. I need you to roll me a persuasion check with advantage because you said a key word. Oh, I'm excited. Now, hold on. I'm going to grab another d20. You're giving me good yeah. vibes. Uh, how does an 18 do? Okay. And for those uh, listening at home, this is like really weird for me because Slade is playing my character sheet. <laughs> so he knows what I'm rolling. Like when he figures out, like when he looks at the modifiers, he's like, okay, so he rolled, he rolled this, he rolled that. And it's just like, I already know. This, so. is, this is weird. <laughs> okay, back into it. You see it shift again. It's no longer a battlefield. Matter of fact, there's nothing at all. It's white. It's just you and him. But the world around you, it's not a barren wasteland. The mountains are gone. It's just, it's almost like you're standing in a complete, utter void that instead of being black, it's white. Oh, so it's purgatory. No. No. Oh. No. This is something different. You see your mirror image stand before you, and his voice changes. You hear your mirror image say back to you with a smile on his face and say, well done. You watch him shift. He changes. It's no longer Rhaegar. He takes the form of a specter. One of a specter that is cloaked in half black and half white. So half of his cloak is white and the other half is black. He has no face. But you almost looking at this specter, you feel two sensations rush into you instantaneously. And it's a very weird way of going about these two sensations but one sensation gives you the notion of utter fear while the other notion is one of calm one of peace one of tranquility it's very odd to have those two sensations running through you at this moment when you look upon the specter but that's what you feel you feel afraid but at peace at the same time the specter looks back at you and says i'm the last remaining image of a once remaining god i am the god of life and the god of death he pulls out his scythe and he does that same motion where he puts the blade up against what feels like and looks like solid ground, but it's just white. And he leans over it and kind of like a 
not really a smuggish way, but more of like that he's just enthralled by you in general. He looks to you and says, so this orb was designed as a gift. Little did I know that it would somehow reach into the hands of the three most unlikely individuals that I could have possibly contemplated on. And funny enough, it reached the one person that I wanted to speak to the most. At that point, as soon as this specter says that I'm the one it wanted to speak to most, I'm going to switch from standing completely face on, just like feet, you know, shoulder to shoulder, you know, straight up, as I have been this entire time. I'm going to switch to being on the back foot. I look this figure up and down multiple times. And just as I've finished taking in as much detail as I can, I just look and I say, speak the truth. Is what I saw before me you? Or is this the work of my brother? Were the images that were in front of me previously, were they you? Or were they Adam? No, they weren't Adam. I'll tell you that now. Although it does feel very odd to call Osmodius by a different name. I'm gonna look I'm gonna look confused for a second. I know that name. Everyone knows that name. Though the connection you are making is not one that I had been graced with the knowledge of. I do not want answers at this particular moment, for I have many, many questions. The answers to all my questions surrounding who I know to be Adam, they will come in time. But first of all, Spectre, I want you to tell me this. Was this a test? Or was this a lesson? Both. Then what is it? that you were seeking to test within me. I know the lesson. That much is blatantly clear. You hit the nail on the head, I'll not give you any shadow of a doubt on that. But what is it in me that you were searching for to take me to this place? Show me these images and put me literally against myself. I don't know how much you've realized since meeting Mouse, but do you know, it should have been a trigger warning when I said it, to be quite honest. But you do know the phrase that he always says, that what's dead should remain dead. That was the lesson. You have not answered my question. The test was whether or not you would be capable of keeping to such standards. 
You speak of my will to bring my family back. You speak of my vocalized will to bring my son back. Yes. You understand that that came from a position of grief, pain, and sadness at my son dying in my arms and barely just out of my own hands. But he, he, he leans forward and says, what if I were to tell you that I could change the path that you're on to the point that when you reach the end of it, you could bring them back? You're testing me again. You said yourself that the lesson was that what is dead must stay dead. If I were to take your offer to claim such powers by the end of my path to bring back my family, then whatever lesson you will have tried to bestow upon me will have been lost. And whatever test that you have given me, and what I can only assume I have not yet failed, would inevitably result in a failure. That is not something that I wish to do. I cannot fail again. That's the thing about being the god of life and death. While a lesson may inherently sound simplistic in nature, it's not always the case. You see, it is as Mouse has stated, that's what's dead should remain dead. But there are circumstances to where that life is more important than death. And if that capacity were in the retrospect of saving an entire world and given to that said person as a reward for his good deeds, then as the god, well, the original god of death, I don't see no fault in that. You speak of great wisdom, Spectre. Equality in a being that I greatly admire. Though I am not doubting your motives and I am not doubting your philosophy nor the way that you conduct your spiritual dealings, I am a man who sees things in black and white. Very, very rarely comes the opportunity for there to be a shed of grey area in the things that I see, believe, or do. So, the notion of the last remaining face of the god of death gracing me with the knowledge or the idea that if I were indeed to save an entire world, that I would be forgiven and understood for bringing back three souls. Forgive me, Spectre, for it seems a little contradictory to the philosophy. I mean no offense, please do not 
mistake my words. I see your kindness in your offer. I see your almost your remorse and your compassion. Though I I'm sorry, I that is one thing that I am not capable of taking on myself. If you see me fit to leave this plane that we stand on just now and rejoin my friends, the lesson that you have attempted rather successfully, I may add, to teach me and this notion that what is dead must truly stay dead is something that will live on within me. I will, I will not abandon the memories of my family. Though this misguided, grief-stricken ideology of trying to bring them back from, from the beyond into the material plane will be something that I will endeavor to leave behind before it is another crutch that I seem to be clinging on to. He, he does that thing where it's not doing it in a threatening way. It's more like that he is preparing for something, but he swings his scythe up and puts it over his shoulder. Then how about we make a deal? I have made many deals in my lifetime. This one will benefit you, I promise, but it will also benefit others. Before you make your deal, Spectre, I have but one question for you to contemplate and see whether sure. or not you are possible of answering. Sure. You spoke of my, my very good companion, Mouse. Yes, one I am quite fond of. Then clarify for me one matter that has already dazed and hazed my mind. I have known Mouse to despise matters of necromantic origins. I have known him to stay very, very clear of such magics and practices and ideologies and philosophies. So it troubles me. Maybe it doesn't trouble me. Maybe it confuses me as to that phrase. And why he seemed so unbeknownst to the nature of the orb that he passed on to me. Let me be, let me be clear. I did not think that my companion had any malicious intent, for I know him to be of good stature and, well, I wouldn't necessarily say pure of heart, but I know that he would never pass something on with willing intent to harm. My confusion comes from how he was unable to sense that the orb possessed the necromantic magic that it, that it does possess. How he wasn't able to sense you. It's... It has to do with his god. You are in league with mother and father. To an extent, 
Yes, uh, although I am no longer, what's the correct term of phrase? And he jokingly says, living. And he does that thing where he does the quotation marks as mm -hmm. like, as like a sense of humor. You can kind of tell that he's got like this other half of him that's like a funnier notion. Oh yeah, that's the, uh, that's the light side coming out in him. That's the light side coming out. I don't rightly know if you remember, but when the one known as Zelanthia stated that he took the hearts of all of the gods, except for the, well, three, as one of them is currently unknown as to their whereabouts, but the other two are hidden in a way that only certain people are revealed their location. Hence why uh, the master and his group were so heavily fonded in finding the three of you. They, they took my heart, my divine heart. But not before I was able to cast my shadow into this orb. With the last remaining remnants of what was left of me to relay a message and to teach a lesson and to test the person who would come and cross with it. But again, I never suspected that it would fall perfectly into the hands of those that I was hoping that it would reach. So before I make this deal with you, I'm going to give you a gift. And it has to do with the nature of this orb. You still have it, don't you? I do. Would you mind getting it out? You watch as Rhaegar slings the, the backpack off of a shoulder, drops it on the floor in front of him, reaches in, takes the orb out, and just lays it gently about five feet in front of him on the ground. Now, do you have the object in question of which that the person that you would like to see most holds dear? You see, it's not around his neck. It's actually, it's secured to the inside of the, the cloth that makes up Rhaegar's shirt. It loosely hangs roughly about center to just above center chest height. It's a small, very tarnished, reasonably well-made golden locket. I break it from the chain and I place it next to the orb with it being open to reveal the picture of Anna and Kayla. The specter looks at you simply and says, may I? If you're going to do what I think you're going to do, then I want you to bring my daughter. I've spoken to my wife already, but I have things that I would love to tell my little girl. He looks at you and says, I'm going to do more than that. 
your wife is in a very good place and she's waiting for you. But the notion of what I'm about to transpire here is a notion of one that hopefully will put the two of us in better graces when it's all said and done. But I need your reassurance that once I do this and you tell me where you want them to go, that you will hear me out. I just nod. You watch as the specter floats in front of the orb, standing just a few inches away from you. You can feel the godly presence of this specter. It, it Had you not known that he was going to do that, you would have dropped to your knees within a mere seconds of him just appearing in front of you like he did. You watch as he takes his scythe and holds it in two hands and waves slowly over the orb and over the locket. And you hear it. It's not, you don't know the language of which he is speaking, but it sounds like whispers. So you hear him go, and he's speaking in this language, right? You see as the orb starts to glow, starts to glow a very bright crimson red. The hair out of the locket floats up. It starts to take shape. Your daughter has been reincarnated. However, because of the way that the reincarnate spell works, I'm going to make you roll to see what race she becomes when she comes back. I want you to roll me a D100. 76. Your daughter comes back as a halfling. But she... I, and I'm going to give a vivid image as to what she looks like. You can tell right away that it's her. Her hair is the same color as her skin was as a dragonborn. She has the same eyes that she did before. But she's a halfling. She's a very young halfling. She, in the equivalent of halfling years, she would be an adolescent. She would be a mere child. Okay. Okay. She looks up at you and just says, Daddy? Hello, sweet child. Where am I? You're safe. I, I, I don't know where we are, but you're safe. Kayla. Before Kayla turns around to see the specter, the specter takes on a different form to kind of keep her from being frightened, in a sense. Before he does, I, I wave a hand as if to say, there's no need. Are you sure? How far away is Kayla from me? 
Kayla's like within less than five feet of you. She's she's walked up to you at this point, uh, but she hasn't noticed the specter yet. Okay. I put my hands gently on her shoulders after I give that gesture to the, the specter. And I just say to her, Kayla, honey, daddy's got a friend here with us. He He looks a little different than anyone you may have seen before so i want you to be a big girl i want you to be brave he's not here to hurt us he brought you back to me sweetheart just you know you have an open mind okay and with that as i turn her around so that she's facing the specter i bring her slightly closer in and i i just put my arms around her and give her a hug from behind yeah okay the specter kind of floats down and he does that that gesture again where he puts the scythe blade down on the ground and leans forward but he leans close enough to look kind of close up at her and he goes hi there and she goes hi and you see the specter goes you don't have to be afraid of me sweet child your father wanted to see you again and i had just enough power to make that happen i i I turn her around again so that i'm looking her dead in the eyes and just say sweetheart daddy's got something to do daddy has a job that means that he needs to go away for a little while now you have done so well in being brave and i know I know so deep down inside my heart that you are just absolutely wonderful. I'm going to need to do something that you cannot join me for. Daddy needs to take care of some business so that your mother can rest peacefully. So that your brother can rest peacefully. See, Draco got hurt, and it's it's kind of Daddy's fault. Daddy needs to make things right. Daddy's gonna fix things, and one day, it may not be tomorrow. It may not be a month. It may not be a year from now. But one day, the four of us are gonna be together. We're going to be sitting down. We're going to be eating dinner. Just like we always like used to. Just like we always wanted. And I promise you. I promise you. That I will not fail you again. Daddy's sorry for leaving. Daddy knows he should have stayed home. I know I should have stayed home with you and your mom. And I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Like I said, I'm going to fix this. I've made friends. Two of which I think you'd really like. But, like I said, where I'm going, it's a little bit too dangerous for you. So I need you to just wait for me. Just a little longer. Can you do that for me? 
she nods. The specter looks to you and says, so she has indeed been reincarnated, but it's not her time to come back just yet. So what I'm going to do is I am going to put her into a state of what would seem like a sleep. So she's going to fall into a very graceful sleep. Your friend Mouse has already done something to coincide with this situation. Those two situations are now in line. You will see your daughter again. That is certain. But some things need to happen before she can come back into the material plane. Is that okay? That's fine. I'm going to send her into her own personal heaven where she can stay and sleep. And she will be returned to the material plane once the said events have transpired. No. No. I want her to go to her mother. She's there. Your son, on the other hand, is not there. But I will get to that in a minute. He holds out his hand to Kayla and says, I'm going to take you to your mother and you're going to go into a deep sleep. Would you like to see your mom again? And Kayla nods furiously. And he says, good. I'm going to take you to her and the two of you can stay there until the time is right. He holds out his hand and you watch as Kayla. It, she's very shy about doing it, but she very slowly grasps what would essentially be the specter's hand. And you see her slowly start to doze off and vanish in a white light as she's dozing off. Then she vanishes. The specter summons an image to let you see that it is a form of heaven. It's actually the arch phase heaven. Her heaven still exists because she is still alive. So this lets you know that her existence is still here, but she's hidden herself to where that she cannot be found. It's a very lush, very green heaven. It's full of nature and full of very wild, very chaotic magic. But it's very peaceful here. It's very beautiful. It's almost like going into a rainforest, but the rainforest is one that kind of feels like a mix between a rainforest and Candyland, if that makes sense. <laughs> that's the best way that I could describe it, but that's essentially what you see. is like It's a rainforest that is very chaotic and very – it's very luscious. But you see Kayla there, and she – she appears there kind of like in a snow white form where she is laid into a, a very beautiful, intricate bed with a glass case over around her. You see as your wife 
walks around and touches the glass and instantly knows what's happening and she, it's she doesn't see you but you can almost feel as if that she just knows instinctively that you're there and that you're seeing this too even though she can't physically see you but you can see her and she just smiles and then the image goes away the specter looks back at you and says May I reveal my plan now? You may. You mentioned before that you were on a path. That path has now changed. And it involves me, strangely enough. I am going to become your shadow. And then you see him wave his hand, and your spirit guardians appear. The dragon the bear and the rat boo boo all three, all three of them appear then they're just looking at you they're smiling and he says along with your friends we're going to become your shadows in doing so you will be laid upon a new path you will no longer be a totem warrior you'll be something else entirely something brand new this path i'm going to relay to you now if you remain on this path the end result is that you take my place you become the new god of life and death you Rhaegar, will gain immortality and in doing so, once you have saved this realm, your wife, your child, and your son will go to your heaven, and you will remain there all the days of eternity and forevermore. And you will watch as when the time comes that Kayla is sent back to the mortal realm where she will have her own adventure and she will have an adventure with someone familiar i can't relay that information out because that is something that is not of my doing but of one of your friends it's their secret to keep and i am going to leave it at that do you Rhaegar? Take upon the path of the God of life and death. If you see me fit to take this path, where if I am successful, is that I take your place. If you truly deem me worthy, then I will bear this responsibility. As he's waving his scythe around, you hear him say a final notion. This path is not one that is laid out to just anyone. Your destiny was always to get to the point of finally defeating the one known as Xehanort. And you are also there to defeat his friends 
for the atrocities that they have committed for killing the gods. There must always be a balance. Whether you see that balance now yet or not, that is entirely on you. But the path that I have laid before you is one that I have chosen you for, and it is one that I have chosen you for for the sole purpose that you have finally come to understand the true meaning of the words that your good friend Mouse has stated. What's dead should stay dead. There is a double-sided meaning to that, and it is up to you to maintain that balance. I looked at this back there, and I just, I, I've been thinking this entire time as he's been relaying this to me, and I just say, you realize that one of my own, one of my companions has taken a liking to elements of necromancy. He sees it as a power that is to be, for lack of a better term, exploited. He... Norbit has his own destiny laid about him. Does my new path clash with Norbit? No. And so long as nothing comes between any of us, I am ready to take this path. The three of your destinies were intertwined many, many eons ago. And it is one that, while things may have changed in that philosophy, you will not clash with either Norbit nor your friend Mouse. Norbit is on a different path, one that... I don't even think that he realizes yet. Mouse is on his own journey. One that has recently changed because of somebody that he held dear. That being of his father. But I will let him tell you that story when he is ready. He spins his scythe faster and faster. You see the forms of your animal companions start to take the forms of shadow beasts. So instead of looking like just ghost images of these animals, a ghost bear, a ghost rat, and a ghost dragon, they instead take the form of shadows in the same likeliness of which they were originated from. He stops the scythe mid-spin. He pulls up, and the scythe turns into an odachi. He spins it around with the hilt towards you, and he says... I saw this as more fitting. Do you take it? I grasp it with one hand to, to begin with. When you grasp it with your one hand, your axe comes out 
on its own and merges in with the Odachi, the Odachi takes the form of what your axe was. It takes the obsidian blade. The entirety of the Odachi is obsidian. Your spirit animals merge into the blade and become a shadow essence that forms around the blade. The hilt takes on the image of the specter. Half of the hilt is black, the other half is white. But you still feel comfortable holding it, even in your one hand, because it feels familiar to you. It feels like your weapon. It feels like your axe. It just took a different form. The specter lets go of the blade while you have the hilt in your palm and you're holding it up with your one hand. The specter looks at you and says, I am here to grant you my power. It's up to you to decide what you do with it. But your path is now set. Your path of the Reaper begins now. And you see him spin and turn into a shadow and merge himself straight into the heart of the blade. On the hilt, on either side, on the white side of the hilt, you see a black crystal. On the black side, you see a white crystal. It's a representation of what you would imagine a yin-yang would be. Balance. It is a pure essence of balance, of life and death. However, one last thing happens. Your dragon comes out of the sword. And takes her original form. I'm going to drop to my knees with the Odachi by my left hand side. Mm -hmm. Just sort of like kneeling, well, sitting on my knees, looking up at the, the dragon. That's Kurama, right? Yes. Yay! I remembered. Yeah. Nice job. She looks at you and says, I'm quite proud of you, first and foremost. I did not think that you would pass that. So this is not something that you look upon with disapproval? The only disapproval that I will have is you do not adhere to the oath that me and you made. I still want you to find my sisters. And I want you to save them. I gave you my word. My word is not something that is easily broken. Then I do not disapprove. However, the manner of which you will save them has changed. Your task now is to have them become your shadows, just as I have. You will, of course, gain new abilities by gaining these shadows. And it is the combined effort of what was once Tiamat along with the god of life and death that will grant you a divine heart when this is all said and done. Your heart 
for the first time in thousands of years will take the form of the first pure divine heart in a long time. I want you to make a religion check. And I'll say that she's help giving you the help action too, so you can do so with advantage. 16. So you know that a divine heart is the heart of what essentially makes a god. Divine hearts are objects that are made of pure magic. You know that there was once a time where even mortals had divine hearts of their own before the gods went into a war and decided to recreate the universe in their likely image and then leave the mortal planes so that they wouldn't interfere with the events that would transpire on those said planes. That is why that you physically do not normally see your gods unless they deem you worthy to do so. That is why that people such as paladins will pray to them and their prayers are answered into the form of their powers, but you never see their god physically. Not unless that god wants you to see them for some form or reason. However, a pure divine heart is different a pure divine heart is a heart that is set in motion to where that it is made of the same substance it is still made of magic but it was not taken from another being because in order to become a god yourself you have to remove the heart like Zelanthia did from another god it's almost like it's passed down yeah. So the more it gets passed down, the more corrupted, quote unquote, it becomes, but it still maintains its form. A divine heart is neither good nor evil. In fact, a divine heart is defined by how you want that heart to be. So if you wanted to become an evil god, you could form that divine heart into a essence of pure evil. Same way with the good. That is how it became, quote-unquote, corrupted. A pure heart is one that is created from the notions of that you, your feelings were so strong towards an idealism that you gained the ability of divinehood out of sheer will. And that's what you have done so far. That is the path that has been laid before you. It's not there yet. And it's going to take a long time to it to fully develop. But you are on the path to where that once it is fully developed, you will become the first pure God since the creation of the universe. So. As Kurama finishes that little spiel, I just clasp the Odachi in my hand and slowly come to a standing position. Know this. Though I did pledge to save your sisters, if for whatever reason 
is a situation arises where freeing them involves harming them. If I am ever left with the choice or lack of the choice is that the only way I can set them free is by severing their ties to the material plane. Just know that it is not something I will do lightly. It will be a heavy burden to grant them that form of freedom. And I will not be able to forgive myself for them having to pay that sacrifice in order to regain their freedom. She places her head on your head very gently and simply utters the words, you have my blessing. And then she removes herself from the equation and goes back into your shadow. Now, your bear and your rat come out. Uh-oh. Your bear looks at you and goes, Hey, boss. You took on a new power. <laughs> and then you see him do that Yogi Bear thing where he goes, good for you. <laughs> the rat just looks at you and goes, yeah, I fucking knew it anyway. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I'm going to look at both of them and just say, what's it like inside this thing? The bear looks at you and goes, Oh, it's kind of like sitting in a cozy room with a fireplace. The rat's like, yeah, except without the fucking whiskey. <laughs> uh, well, I am glad that you guys are somewhat comfortable in there. Well, I mean, you did kill me before, so I really didn't have that much of a choice. Yep, then the bear is just like, Oh, I picked you out first thing. I'm happy that you made a new choice. Well. I don't know what to say to that, but at least I know you're not uncomfortable in there. Right. Okay. I look around and I just, I say to myself, now I gotta figure out how to get the fuck out of here. Uh, you hear the bear go, Oh, that's easy, boss. I got this. And then you see him smack you across the face, and then you wake the fuck up, and you're sitting at that fountain that you passed out at <laughs> as i wake up i uh it, it, the only way i can describe it is it's like it's like that it's that sensation that everybody gets where you're in a deep sleep and you feel like you're falling and you jolt awake you d yeah you do exactly that as i come to consciousness i like this <laughs> and i just i drop the odachi on the stone little island that i'm sat on and i just look and i'm like Okay, I want to do a, I don't know whether it would be nature or survival, but I want to do a check to see how much time has passed. Like, judging by the, the moon and like... Do an insight check and also do a perception check on the same time. Okay, so for the insight section, that was a dirty 20. Okay, so you can tell by the shift of the moon that roughly about half an hour to an hour has passed so it's about 1 a.m and that was a 12 for the perception <laughs> that's that's plenty so i'm giving you a free rage on this one 
you're still going to have all of your rages for the day because you're getting a long rest essentially, but it's a matter of this is the form you take when you are in a rage now. Can I describe it? Sure. I kind of had a I kind of had a an idea if I was if I was actually lucky enough to get into this. So if you've been following the Dirty 20 podcast for long enough, you know that there was some very beautifully commissioned artwork that Slade had made to represent the characters. You know that Rhaegar takes the form of a blue dragonborn with a braided beard and braided white hair. He's, I, I won't say he's the stereotypical form of a humanoid dragonborn, but he's pretty damn, damn close to it. So as Rhaegar comes to consciousness, not much is changed. The hair is still predominantly white, though the tips, there's probably about, about an inch from the very tip going inward that is jet black. And as the DM has already stated, I am currently in a rage, naturally, without having to trigger it. My eyes are just this black void. There's like, you, you don't see irises, pupils, or whatever. It's just jet black. I didn't want to stray too much into like changing the appearance, but I thought that the, the, the facial hair and my, like my, my braids, just giving them a very small tweak. It's funny because that's actually how I've written you down, except for the eye part. But I did add an additional thing that you didn't add, and you're I'm I'm totally okay with you saying that this is not okay. Okay. Your skin also gets darker. So instead of being like a luminescent blue like you normally are, it's it's almost darker than a navy. If I'm being honest, it takes on a darker hue but your skin goes completely dark blue but also you notice that your odachi the shadows form into your sword like before and it goes into the shadows remove themselves as you're coming out of rage and form into your natural shadow when you come out of the rage, you go back to looking normal. You still have the Odachi. It still has the obsidian blade, but the shadows are not attached to the blade. It just becomes an obsidian sword. Okay. Okay. All right. And before I end this session, ladies and gentlemen, just to clarify what just happened, Rhaegar is no longer on the path of the totem warrior. He is now on a homebrew path called path of the reaper where that his entire philosophy is now about maintaining a balance between life and death we have already gave him his character sheet and as of the ending of this session which this actually turned into a full fucking episode <laughs> he is going to start off with that character sheet so he will still be the same Rhaegar just with a different philosophy in mind. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Rhaegar. I uh, I, got, I got something I want to I want to say uh, to the folks at home. At the beginning of the session, you heard me saying that regardless of what happened, Rhaegar was going to be coming out of this an entirely different person. You listened through Rhaegar 
basically fighting with himself. And my intention was to relieve my character of some of the crutches that he's given himself throughout the several years that has gone by since that event to present day. Uh, although new ones have, you know, naturally formed, as you overheard during the conversation, the ones that I placed upon myself, I've gotten rid of. My reasoning behind doing this in session was that becoming more and more clear upon myself IRL that certain crutches need to be removed and it's okay to do so. Should you ever find yourself in a position where you're looking at an aspect of your life and you're seeing that you're using it as a crutch and you come to this revelation of waking up one morning or you know, it just flashes before your eyes that you no longer need that certain thing that you feel like you've been relying on, you have the strength to remove it. You have the strength within yourself to make that positive change in your life. And it's okay to do that. In fact, I myself would encourage you to do that. And just know that if you do find something within yourself that you feel like you need to let go in order to make yourself happier, then just know that you are strong enough to do it. And that you will be a better person afterwards. I actually had so much more planned for that little confrontation that I guess it was just the heart of the cards that, you know, we never got around to. I, I want every... I, I, I'm going to say this because th this was a possibility to where that depending on the words that were said and the roles that were made, it could have ended a completely different way. And we had ways of getting through that as well. So I want everybody to know that Rhaegar in general got super lucky with the words that he used and the phrases that he came about into giving off a narrative of more of a role-playing scenario. But I told my players that from a certain moment that they finished from here on out, this will become harder. I will not stray from that. The decisions that they make in this campaign, they need to come to the realization that those decisions are real decisions and will dictate what happens in this campaign, whether good or bad. This was one of those scenarios that I wanted to give Rhaegar the, the benefit of the doubt and say, you decide what happens and let the dice tell the story. When those dice make their rolls, whatever happens, happens. And I hope that you understand that. I, under, I, you know, there was a very, very, very heavy possibility that things could go a million miles south at a, a trillion miles an hour. And I was ready for it. I didn't like it, and that's part of the game. You don't have to like the way that things unfold. 
it likes like Slade just said, it's the it's the roll of the dice. This is a, a game that is entirely dictated by dice rolls. And although you guys don't physically see us rolling the dice, you hear the results and you know what we ended up with. And that's dictated not through us just only telling you, but also through the way that the DM guides us through the story as a consequence of those roles. There are certain inevitabilities that are going to make D&D players uncomfortable when they actually end up coming face-to-face with them. And your initial knee-jerk reaction is going to be, I don't like this. And it's going to feel like it's hurting your experience at the table. And when you reach those higher levels, now I do realize that we're not exactly high level, we're level 8 right now. When you reach anywhere above level 5, essentially, you need to take stock, and you need to take stock at the experiences that you've gone through that led you to that point. And more importantly, look at the things you haven't done. Whether it be, I haven't fought a challenge rating 15 monster, or I haven't been involved in what could be classed as a deadly encounter. Now, that's an entirely different story back right there. But the moral of this story, because both Slade and I know that this was to teach me something IRL, not in-game, but IRL, that what makes you uncomfortable is not always a bad thing. And I'm fully on board with that ideology. But, like I said, that is a story for another time. And I, as Mayhem, not as Rhaegar, but as Mayhem, genuinely hope that you guys listening to this episode enjoyed it. As I hope that you've enjoyed every other episode that you have, uh, that you've listened to so far. So, yeah. All right. So, with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening. And to kind of give off a little notion as for a little side plug-in uh very quickly uh go listen to mayhem's podcast duckies and dargons huh uh, i don't know he, about duckies or dargons what are you talking uh, about uh-huh yeah don't sit don't sit here and lie to me what who's been running this podcast i know nothing about it don't sit here and lie to me this <laughs> this gentleman right here Go listen to his podcast because uh, he's finally uploading episodes and I am finally a fucking player in something because forever DMs suck. <laughs> I, I, I don't like being a forever. I love being a DM, but, be, but being a forever DM is atrocious. Yeah. Like, I know the full feeling that Matt Mercer and others like him get into of not being able to play. And then when you get the opportunity to play, you're just like, bitch, sign me up. Sign me the fuck up. I don't care if you make me into a goblin. Just let me play. (laughs) I don't care if it's a one shot or if it's a 10 year long campaign. Sign me the fuck up. But that's our little plug-in. Duckies and Dargons, go give them a listen. You can find them on Anchor, Spotify, any, pretty much anywhere you can listen to a podcast, except for Apple Podcast, I believe. 
Yeah, I'm not I'm not touching Abba with a time frame barge pole. That that's perfectly fine. But go give them a listen. We will catch you in the next episode. And the one after this is where Rhaegar gets to start with his new path. Yay! Are you seeking some slick new gaming gear to add to your arsenal? Our friends over at Inked Gaming have developed their site into a one-stop shop for all of your tabletop gaming needs. From vibrant looking dice to cleverly designed dice bags to sweet sleeves, play mats, and a whole lot more. Their site is rich with quality goods that will help you up your game. Team Inked has been a friendly, reliable supplier to the gaming community for nearly 10 years, and we want them to continue growing for the next 100. In fact, we love their products so much that they didn't even approach us to promote them on our podcast. We wanted to utilize our affiliation with Inked to let people know about their gear. So head on over to InkedGaming.com today and get your hands on some awesome gear that matches your game and your style.